and you, you're a lot like them too. And it can lead to these possibilities and it can lead to, you know, like harm being done if you if you get into a fight or something and yet you still have to live the rest of your life with those people. Uh, so you have to find a way to forgive them many times uh, and, and get over it <laughs> and somehow come back together. And I think that there's a lot that it's saying here about, you know, children and the, the opportunity for children to be like sort of the ultimate example um, because of how just willing they are to, to follow their parents and, and without question, um, some, oftentimes, like when they're very young, <laughs> not always without question, but sometimes. So this is Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth, about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am amongst them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but unto seventy times seven. Um, Randy, I'll ask you to pray. Uh, do we have any prayer requests or announcements? Deb? Okay, Connor and Declan Slaughter got into a car accident last night, and the other person was an employee at service company where Zeb works. His name is Alex. You can ask for prayer for him.
Anybody? Bart? Continue to pray for Jerry Garber. Continue uh, to pray for Jerry Garber. Getting blood transfusion regularly and his, uh, his strength keeps going down. Unfortunately, he lost his wife a couple months ago, so keep him in your prayers. Having some health problems and anything else? hospitality and love to all men 
number 225 in the worship of his majesty number 225 I'm so glad to be here this morning. (sighs) 
I want to reread to you verse 2 and verse 4. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ, my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. title this morning is Perception of Grace, and this song so spoke into it, spoke of it. I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. really want to get to Galatians chapter 5, but 1 and 2 give some background, some understanding. And we're not going to read a lot of this. I'm going to point out a few things to you. As you read through this chapter, he is addressing this letter to the Galatians. And this is, this is the one book where he's not writing to a specific congregation, he's writing to a region called Galatia. It wasn't far from where he grew up. And he explains some of his history here. As you may know, he grew up in Tarsus, which was kind of like right on the border of Syria and Galatia, the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. When he was a young man, he went to Jerusalem. He studied under Gamaliel. He was the rising star in the Jewish faith. And one day the Lord confronted him in Damascus and said, will you follow me? And he said, yes. And his life changed dramatically and he became from the one who was the the worst persecutor of the Christian faith to the one who was preaching the gospel wherever he went. And he tells in this in this chapter here that <clears throat> when that conversion happened, he didn't immediately go to Jerusalem and confer with the, those who were the apostles that had walked with Jesus. It says that he went into Arabia. He went in for about three years. He, was, he removed himself. And he had direct revelation from Jesus Christ. He says this um, in this passage, in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. 
For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he spent about three years, and Jesus Christ himself taught Paul so that when Paul was preaching, he had the same message that the, the rest of the apostles were teaching. And he goes on here and says, uh, <clears throat> after that three-year period, uh, he, he did go up for 15 days. He met with Peter. And then it was about 14 years later before he returned to Jerusalem. During that time, he, you have some of the missionary journeys where he was establishing churches in Galatia, which we call Turkey today, and other areas there in Asia Minor. He got, ended up over in, in uh, Greece and some other areas. But it was about 14 years later, they had the Jerusalem Council. <clears throat> and Paul and Barnabas and Titus went down to that Jerusalem Council to meet with those men. And the reason is, that's why this letter was written, because there was a real problem in the early days of the church there. Because you had people who were becoming Christians who came from the Jewish background, and you had people who were, became Christians who came from other backgrounds, but you had men who were known as Judaizers who would go into those areas and say, well, yeah, that's great, you're becoming a Christian, but you really can't be a Christian unless you follow all the things in the old law. And one of them is circumcision, which is often talked about. And Paul was writing to them to challenge them said, what happened to you? You had a great start. What bewitched you? What changed your mind? What, what, how are you stumbling in this situation that you're allowing these things, that the message that I gave to you is the same message that I delivered you at the beginning, and it's the same message the apostles preach, and the, the, you are at liberty from the old law. And so this whole book is about that, this whole letter to the churches in Galatia. Now, in chapter 2, he talks about coming down to Jerusalem there. <clears throat> and we'll pick it up in verse 7. As he comes down, he's starting to meet some of the, the Christians there and the church there in Jerusalem. He meets some of the apostles. And it says in verse 7, But contrarywise, when they, saw, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter... And that's what began to happen. These people, they didn't know him by face. They'd heard of him by reputation. And they didn't really know who he was, but so Barnabas went with him. That was kind of his, his introduction to all those people. And, and they began to understand that, that they knew that Peter had been given the commitment by the Holy Spirit to go unto the circumcision, to the Jewish people, and to convert them. But now they began to understand a similar thing, exactly the same thing, had been given to Paul to go on to everybody else, or what we call the Gentiles. So they began to get that picture very clearly. For verse 8, For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, so he's referring to James and Cephas, who is Peter, and John, and they were pillars. They were, they were very visible pillars, leaders in the church in Jerusalem. When they perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. And it's that phrase right there that I'm interested in today. When they perceived the grace that was in Paul. 
What was it that they saw? They began to understand in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was teaching them, teaching them all. You know, the same commitment was given to Peter and to Paul. One into Jewish people and one into the Gentiles. And it was just the same from the Holy Spirit. And they were perceiving that God's grace was on Paul as well. And they were willing to accept him and to let him be a part of that Jerusalem council. And then they went back and, you know, you had the decision of the Jerusalem council in Acts 15 and all of that. And they went back and took that message back to churches then as well. <clears throat> but Paul was accepted because they could see the grace of God in his heart. Now let's think about that just a little bit. <clears throat> when it says perceived the grace that was in him, it reminds me of a lot of the... Uh, like electronic devices that we have today. We have all kinds of sensors. Now, you have sensors on your driveway. If somebody walk, drives in your driveway, you got dings that are going off in the living room. You, you have all kinds of electronics and security measures and all sorts of sensors of people moving or breaking glass or, or doing cameras and all sorts of things are happening throughout our society. Sensors are very real. And sensors can be fine-tuned to specific things and wavelengths. And I want to liken that to this idea of perceiving grace in other people. Is your grace sensors working? Is your grace perceivers working? Do you, when you meet someone, do you automatically uh, turn on the perceivers and you're thinking, okay, now, is this really a Christian? Is this really a person who has the grace of God in him? And, and, and <laughs> normally... We don't, aren't really thinking that way necessarily, unless it's built into our character that those sensors are already on. Because so many times when you meet someone and maybe you've known them from the past, and what, what happens? What's the first thing that begins to happen? You begin to roll around in your mind. Oh, I knew this. I know that. I was told this. I saw that happen. They told me this happened. And this person is starting to talk, and you're running this, this little reel in your mind of all the stuff that you don't like about this person. <laughs> Isn't that how we think sometimes? But here is, is a description that the Holy Spirit wants us to have our perception, have our sensors of grace on go, on target, ready to sense the, the grace of God is in this person. And I need to treat them that way. Not with all the stuff that I imagine or I think about from the past, but to know that I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know what God is producing there. I don't know how they have changed. And I don't know how they, maybe those things were completely forgiven. I never heard that part. But the God himself wants us to be people who have our perceptors on to be able to meet every person that comes along and to, to sense about them in grace instead of all the negative stuff. Have you ever been on an airplane? <clears throat> And you sit down, you know how it is, you're, you know, seats A, B, C, and D, you know, and you sit down next to somebody, and automatically, or almost instantly, you figure out if the person is going to be willing to talk to you, or maybe you're not even willing to talk to them, and you go into silent mode. Maybe you say a few things, but you kind of just, you know how it is. But sometimes, you meet someone, and it's an astounding conversation. I was in a plane recently, and... Before we even taxied out of the gate, we were hitting it off. 
And we began to talk about things in our lives and, and things we were interested in and things we were involved in. And it just became very, uh, it was just amazing before it even took off off the ground. We had already covered a lot of ground and we already began to sense that this man was a believing Christian. He didn't say it. I didn't say it directly. But you sense that in your spirit. It's a discernment of the spirit that you're sitting next to a Christian man. It was awesome. And we began to explain a lot, of, a lot of other things, and a lot of conversation went on there. <clears throat> and he began to talk about a, a ministry that he was involved with. But he, he first had told me that he was a CEO, or he was a major officer in a company, and uh, in a financial way. And, and then he began to talk about a ministry he was involved with, and he had children, had four children, and his wife, and all these things were being grouped together. And we had a wonderful conversation, but he was talking about this ministry that he'd gotten involved with, and the details of that were just awesome. And it was involved in a, in a city, and he was starting to make contact with the representatives at the state government level, and he was trying to build this thing so it would be part of the welfare system and be part of that whole situation. And we exchanged numbers, and we've had a little bit of contact since. But we also began to understand completely that this man had a church family, and he had a love because Jesus Christ was in his heart. And we could share on that level. And it was it's just so incredible to perceive the grace that was in that man. But, you know, it brings back some, some really bad memories of being in college. And it's interesting that Byron sits there, because I went to college where he teaches. <laughs> And he probably has students like this in your class. Well, listen to this. I remember in our group of friends, and some of the group members of that group later became lawyers, which is uh, kind of significant. So we'd have some pretty, pretty hard-hitting conversations. And no one would let anything by. I mean, you'd say something at all, and they would jump on it. Sometimes you'd get pretty, pretty loud and you're talking, you're pointing fingers and you stand up and get at each other's faces and then you laugh and ha you have a good time. But we wouldn't let anything get by that wasn't going to be challenged. And, and well, somebody had the idea, why don't we make a little device? We ought to make a device and we'll call it the trash detector and we'll take it into classroom because they had some classes that were oriented to discussion. And there was some really stupid stuff that was being said. Have you ever, been, ever had students like this? <laughs> And they come in, and we thought, well, let's make a little device. And whenever we hear one of these students or the, or the professor say something really off the wall or stupid, or we had all sorts of ways to describe that. And we would push the button and ding some kind of a noise in the classroom, but then you better be prepared to defend your position. It's a good thing that we didn't hang out with any electric, electrical engineers. It probably would have gotten made. <clears throat> but that's how we acted with each other. And some of you are probably thinking, you're still that way. <laughs> I know, the Lord's working on me. <laughs> and, and this is a challenge. <clears throat> but God's working on me and, and giving me grace to learn how to listen and how to not, re I don't have to react to everything. <laughs> I don't have to build a case. No, just God's giving me grace. Lord, help us that we would learn to have grace for other people and what they say and what they do and what we think about them. I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 
he begins here, and I'm not going to read everything that's here, but we'll, we'll pull out some pieces here. He stands, begins, begins in verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, he's been, there's been several chapters here of a discussion about the, what the Judaizers were attempting to do. And he's explained that, no, we are in, a, we are in the liberty where, that Christ has put us in, and don't be entangled again with those things of the law that are, it's a yoke of bondage upon you. <clears throat> and that this, in contrast to the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. Now he's going to go on, he, and he talks about some more details about what the Judaizers were doing. And so we're going to skip down here just a little bit to verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You know, it's interesting in, in reading or in researching this just a little bit, that occasion to the flesh has a military meaning. It's a picture of an army that has set up a base of operations where they keep supplies and they stay hidden and they go out and they attack and they go back and they stay there. And they go back and they make plans and they go some other place and they attack. And so what this is saying is don't use the liberty that you have in Jesus Christ as a base of operations to hide behind and go out and attack people. I think we all need to hear that. You, you know, in a church, and if we have our grace procedures working, we have a lot of tolerance, a lot of grace for people. But don't go into that situation knowing that people are going to give you all kinds of grace and then use that as a base of operations to go out and attack. Hmm. But, again in verse 13, at the end of 13, but by love serve one another. So love is the driving force. Love, the love of Jesus Christ that he's given to us then becomes what we use to motivate to serve other people, not to go on the attack, but to serve. And see, there's a lot of contrast in this passage, and a lot of decisions that we have to make on an everyday basis. We have to get up in the morning and say, okay, uh, am I going after that person today when you get to work? Or are we going to have the decision to serve someone? Those are daily decisions that we have to make. 14 and 15, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the one word being love, but he puts it in the context of loving your neighbor as yourself. We tend to love ourselves pretty well, don't we? We take care of ourselves, we preserve ourselves, we, we look out for ourselves, we, we find ways to make, you know, make life good. For ourselves, and he says, take, make that same decision to love other people just like that. And that's the summary of the whole Bible, the whole law, is to love your neighbor as thyself. But then he gives a, a, a terrible word picture here in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. 
This was a very revealing study to look at those words. Bite, devour, and consume. Have you and I ever done that to somebody? The word bite there is the picture, it's that, it's that violent, ripping, shredding, tearing apart. You've seen videos of you know, predators ripping apart some little animal that they had caught and just ripping it and eating it and they're jumping in and, and nothing is left that's even visible. That's the biting part. And devour is pretty much the same thing, but just ripping it and eating it <clears throat> and the whole action of chewing and swallowing and getting, just rip tearing everything apart. This is, the, this is the level of the words that Paul was writing here about human interaction. And he's warning us. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. And the consumed part is the last part of that eating and tearing process of swallowing and digesting it and destroying it. I hope that word picture sticks in your mind this week. To help our grace perceivers come on board. So that we don't become guilty of biting and devouring and consuming one another. You've, you've been in that situation. You've seen that happen to people. You've seen that happen to, to friends and to family and to and people that you barely knew. But they can treat each other just like that just like wild animals ripping each other apart so there's almost nothing left. Mm. But then he goes on, verse 16, 16, 17, and 18, says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And when he says walk in the Spirit, that's a continuous action. It's a habitual lifestyle choice. Again, it's what you've got to think about. I'm given too many things to think about in the morning. This is when you're getting up and you're getting moving and so forth. I've got to make a decision that I'm going to walk in the Spirit today instead of just doing all the stuff that I'd really like to do because I've got a problem with that person. And the Bible is clearly telling us to have a habitual lifestyle of walking in the Spirit and asking the Spirit of God how should I think? How should I process the, these injuries, these feelings? Lord, help us to have a lifestyle of grace, perception of other people. So walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth or opposes against the Spirit. Now, when it talks about the flesh, what's it really talking about there? That's kind of a word that's sort of like, what does that mean? Well, it refers to your body but also refers to your mind and your will and your emotions. So all those humanness things, all that part that makes you human, it says opposes the spirit. And so as long as we're in this life, we've got this, this battle, this opposition going on. Because we would like by our very nature and our will cho choices and everything about us, we'd really like to go and do this to someone. But the Spirit says, no. That's not grace. That's not love. That's not serving one another. So we're constantly be being challenged by the Spirit. And it says here, 
For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, which is an opposition, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, that's the opposition part, they're contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would, but if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. And then let's go on then, because now we see a list. Now the works of the flesh, which means the works of my body, the works of my mind, the works of my will, the works of my emotions are manifest. It's visible. It's right out front. And let's read it with another phrase here. Except for the grace of God, I'd be committing adultery. Except for the grace of God, I'd be committing fornication. Except for the grace of God, I'd be living in uncleanness. You have to personalize this kind of a list. Because we all know our hearts. We all know how how wicked and dirty the inside of our being is. And except for the grace of God, I would be living in lasciviousness. Except for the grace of God, I would be believing and practicing idolatry and witchcraft. Except for the grace of God, I'd be living and working against people in hatred and variance and emulations and I would be full of wrath, except for the grace of God, I would be stirring up strife, except for the grace of God, I would be planning seditions, except for the grace of God, I'd be believing outright heresies. Thank God for the grace of God. But the list goes on even. Except for the grace of God, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. All of these things are quite visible, quite manifest, and we see people, we see this going on in our culture, and we see this among people that maybe we know, but except for the grace of God, I would be there, of the which I tell you before, as I have told, also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And the do is a key word there. The do has to do with the practice of it the habitual lifestyle of it. And so there's a a clear conviction that people have already condemned themselves to hell if they they live in a habitual lifestyle of these things. Except for the grace of God, I'd be there. In contrast, verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit... Because of the grace of God is love. Because of the grace of God is joy. Because of the grace of God, I can have peace. Because of the grace of God, I can have long-suffering. And maybe we stop right there and think, wait a minute, long-suffering? I have to be like that too? I have to, really, I have to allow people to, to do those things to me and not retaliate and, and not jump on it immediately and not build a case against them? Because of the grace of God, he wants us to be long-suffering. Because we don't know what's in that person's heart. And it's not our responsibility to fix them or to make it just. Isn't that one of our first reactions? We think, that isn't fair. The fairness scale goes up in our heads. And the justice scale goes up in our heads. That's not just. That's not fair. That's how we think immediately, isn't it? Because of the grace of God, he says... Learn to be long-suffering, patient with those things that happen. Because God is at work, he has a plan. We heard, what was it, two weeks ago 
in the Sunday school opening, her brother was talking about that the king has another move. What an awesome picture we heard there. We don't know what the, next, the king's next move is, but we know that God's working. And we may be an agent of that, but we may not be. Because of the grace of God, he calls us to be long-suffering. Because of that grace of God, he calls us into gentleness. He wants us to exhibit goodness. He wants us to show our faith by the way we walk. He wants us to have meekness in our, in our responsibilities and in our relationships with people, to have temperance in our lifestyle choices. Because of the grace of God, there is no law that can prevent us from those things because this is the working of the Spirit of God in our lives. And then he says, in verse 24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh, which means if I'm in Christ, my body is crucified, my mind is crucified, my will is crucified, my emotions are crucified with Jesus Christ. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That's another interesting study right there, affections and lust. What, what's, he, what's he referring to there? And, and you can divide those two words into this. The affections are the things that I like, the habits that I like, the attitudes that I like. Those are my affections. We may have a long list of those things that I, I like to do this. I like to think this. I like to be that kind of a person. And then the lusts are the things that I'm addicted to. What am I addicted to? What are the things that I'm addicted to? What is the attitudes that I'm addicted to? What is the actions that I'm addicted to? And it says that both the things that you like and the things that you are addicted to have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, you can walk in the Spirit, in the guidance of the Spirit, and have an attitude of grace into situations when it really hurts and you're under attack. That's a big order for God to ask. But that's what he's telling us. Walking in the Spirit, <clears throat> letting your grace perceivers be out there. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know, our belief in God, our, our salvation in Jesus Christ, our, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But then he says also, Every day, walk in that spirit. You can't count on that, yeah, I was saved 14 years ago. Jesus calls us to be sanctified people, to every day be crucifying those things. Say, Lord, show me. Teach me. Help me to know how to think, how to react, how to get along, and how to heal relationships. Mm. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, this last verse is amazing. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. God often talks about His glory. We don't fully understand what the glory of God is, but it's awesome. It's indescribable. It's brilliant. We can't stand up in front of it. We can only fall down on our face. 
in the glory presence of God. But he's describing here, says, don't be desirous of vainglory. What's that talking about? That's self-glory. Don't let your mind be so turned that all you're thinking about is, man, what's going to make me look good? So don't be desirous of that. Because that kind of mind will proceed into the next two things. Provoking one another, envying one another. What is provoking and envying? Provoking is one another is to call forth as to a contest, to stir up what is evil in that person's heart. In today's world, we call it trash talk. That's one version of it. I remember playing a lot of baseball as, as a little kid, went through, through all the little league teams and all that sort of thing. And I loved to, often was on third base or shortstop. So we were close to the batter, close enough that they could hear us, close enough we could get into their head, and we could trash talk them continually to distract them. And, and I was awful at it because I did it all the time. And the whole attempt was to bring out some reaction, some distractions, to bring out some evil thought, to maybe, maybe even make him want to come over and hit me or something. I just, we went after him. And I wasn't the only one. But that's what trash talk is. That's provoking some evil thing out of another person, as in a contest. It becomes a game. That's not what God calls us to be. And then it says envying one another. You know, you've, you know what envy, and, and you've heard jealousy, and you, sometimes it's hard to, to separate envy and jealousy. But envy is that feeling of displeasure, that, that knowing that someone has something or accomplished something, and the, the difference is jealousy wants some of that too. But envy goes further. Is that I want to make sure it is taken away from them. So he's cautioning us here in strong words. Let us not be desirous of self-glory, going about provoking one another and envying one another. Our desire here today is that we would become people who would know that God has built into us perceptions of grace and the ascensor of that, to be able to sense in the spirit that the grace of God is on this person that you're in front of or that you're thinking about, and that changes how you're going to talk, how you're going to react, and what you're going to do in your life and in their life as well. <clears throat> Join me in prayer. <clears throat> Oh, Father, our God in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, you, you came to this world, you showed yourself, you taught to us, you left it in the scriptures. Father, you went and you suffered and you died for us and you rose again and that you have promised us that there is an end to this world that we live in that is so warped by sin. Oh, Father, we know that we can trust you for that. And that the things that are, while we're in this life, Father, we know that we're weak and that we have tr- struggles and we have battles and we have times when we react in a wrong way. Oh, Father, show it to us. 
convict our hearts. Help us to be people that are willing to have a ready heart of forgiveness unto other people and not always thinking of the next terrible thing that we want to do. Oh, Father, work with us. We thank you for your grace that is upon us. We thank you, Father, that the, each one that has come here today came because they wanted to be here, and we know that they have a desire to know your word. We just pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit is speaking into each heart today and bringing out memories in their past and memories of even recent things, Father. And we just pray your Holy Spirit to guide them and, and just empower them to, to be people of love and grace and forgiveness and agents of yours but also willing to step aside and allow you to work in the amazing way that you can. Oh, Father, help us to be more like you. And let love be the force that drives all that we do. Father, help us to know more about what your grace has done for us. Therefore, I can show grace to others. Oh, Lord Jesus, bless this message in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have a song.